Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show. We're here breaking down Week 17 in For the Fame Fantasy Baseball. The 2022 season is almost behind us, and we are approaching the playoffs, and we have some more teams clinching their playoff spots. So we have three more weeks left in the regular season before we get to the playoffs. The consolation bracket is obviously going to be decided with the four bottom teams. So a lot to get into. Of course, we get into the news. The biggest news there is, and I know you guys all want to hear my take on Fernando Tatis Jr. and what he did, breaking my heart on a Friday evening. We'll get all, all of that into this episode and more. Kimmy's Wrap-Up Show is next. All right, as mentioned, the Commission Wrap-Up Show is here. Week 17 is behind us, and we are quickly approaching, you know, the playoffs. The Joseph George Lucchese Championship will be on the line, and will Travis be able to defend his coveted trophy, or will someone new take it home in 2022? Commission is here, and I have a lot to say to you guys. But let's get into the matchups first, because I know I'm going to have a lot to say about the Fernando Tatis Jr. situation. Some of the other news that have popped up throughout the week, because it was a pretty busy week in baseball. A lot of discussion in the group chat. Uh, The season, believe it or not, is almost over. As I said before, three weeks left after this week is over. And then we move into the playoffs, which, man, I cannot believe how fast the season went. Can't believe how fast the summer went. The, The champion will be decided by September 25th. We're almost a month. Uh, away from that, we are, you know, a month and 10 days at this point, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, August 15th. So let's get into the first matchup here. And let's start with a meaningful one. And it was the most meaningful one of the weekend. It was Devin versus Perrier. So this one was to decide the standings in the Grand Balfour division. And we know that the 11 win spot is... I guess the benchmark for playoff teams, it seems like everyone has 11 wins, clinch a playoff spot. We saw Jimmy clinch a playoff spot when he got 11 wins. Perry, of course, was the first team to clinch at 11 wins. And this matchup was close. And it's no coincidence that both these teams scored a lot of points. They went out there. And if this was a preview of the championship, this would be a barn burner. So Perry drops to 11 and 6. Devin moves to 11 and 6. So now we have, I believe Devin has the tiebreaker here. If I look at the potential standings, it's hard to know because if you guys ever look at Stat Tracker on Yahoo, they actually put uh, everyone in one division. So it has the teams that are above each other. So I guess I can look at that and see what they put, who they put above each other with Perrier and, and Devin. So looking at their standings, we have, they still have Perrier above Devin. So I'm not sure if that tiebreaker is considered in the live standings on, um, and I guess we'll see. I'll know by this time tomorrow who's actually in first place in the division. But, I mean, look how tight it is at the top. I mean, best record being Jimmy at 12-5. and Perrier and and Devin are both at 11-6. And And now Greg, as we'll get to his matchup, moved to 11-6. And And the two bottom teams, 10-7. And And look at at Nick. Sneaky. 7-10 all of a sudden. He got to, I mean, a pretty bad beginning to his season. Kind of buried himself. But he has to be proud of how his team is finishing. But... Not to get too far off, off the topic, let's look at the matchup between Perrier and Devin. And like I said, this matchup was one to be proud of. If this is what the championship entails down the line, I mean, this would be a great, great matchup between the two of them. So looking at the week that was for Perrier, coming up just short, we have his actual as, as Don. That is not a fart, everybody. That's Don. 
knocking into the microphone. So Don, put your put your mouth on the microphone, Don. You guys can hear him? Yeah, that's Don breathing heavily into the microphone. He's upset about Fernando Tatis Jr. as well. But top point getters for Perrier, we have Paul Goldschmidt, who had a hell of a week, 10.7 points. He's probably the go-away favorite to be the National League MVP, unless, I don't know, something else changes. But I think, safe to say, Goldschmidt's been the best player in the National League consistently. There's been some players that have been better than him in short bursts, but Paul Goldschmidt right now is sitting second overall in points. He's approaching 30 home runs with 28, batting 330. The average is what really impresses me. Uh, finished the week with six runs scored, three singles, one double, two home runs, five RBIs, and walked four times. We also have Kyle Tucker went off this week with 15.55 points, six runs scored, five singles, one double, uh, also had a triple, and then two home runs and nine RBIs for the Astros. And don't look now, Kyle Tucker is quickly approaching top 20 in points. He's at 22 right now, 21 home runs, batting 249, 76 RBIs. Um, he's definitely going to be approaching and challenging for a 25 and 25 season. With, right now he has 17 stolen bases, so it's potential he can cross that, thre cross that threshold of having 25 stolen bases and 25 home runs, which is has not been done in quite some time. So, man, he's been very, very good for the Astros, who all of a sudden have the best record in the American League. And the Yankees were lapping them for a bit there. But it looks like the Astros uh, treated this more like a marathon. And I think the Astros if don't, I mean, the Yankees have been struggling pretty mightily the last couple of weeks. But the Astros right now, they are probably, I think, Four, yeah, they're about four games better than the Yanks right now. And I, I still believe that we're on a collision course for both of those teams to face each other. But, you know, Kyle Tucker will be a huge piece to if the Astros are going to be able to compete uh, for American League Championship and eventually a World Series. Pitching-wise, Zach Gallen went off for, for Perrier. And Zach Gallen is a, a, a player that has been oft injured, not quite as advertised, I think everybody wants him to be a different player. I mean, everyone wants him to be the ace that he was when he first got called up and everyone saw potential in him. Uh, the last two times out, though, he looked every bit of the ace that we used to know. So back on August 8th, he went seven strong, got the win, struck out eight. And on the 13th, which was yesterday, seven strong, again, struck out six, finished with 7.25 points and got the win. Uh, the biggest thing I pulled away from his start was he he stopped the Rockies from putting on more than one one batter on base the whole game. So he stayed out of trouble. His command on the secondary pitch, pitches probably could have been better, and that's been the biggest complaint for Zach Gallon throughout the year. But, I mean, his ERA right now fell from 312 to 294 with this performance, and he's, he's putting it together in under one whip. So... I know Bazzotta's got to be kicking himself. He was more than patient with Zach Gallen, but, you know, sometimes they put it together, and I know a lot can be said about pitching when there's nothing on the line, and Lord knows right now that there's nothing on the line for the Diamondbacks. I mean, so when you're pitching a game against Pittsburgh and Colorado in, you know, mid-August with nothing on the line, it's easy to put it together. So I would wait to see if, if Gallen can put it together against a better lineup, but still – Something to be excited for, because if 
Gallon can be that pitcher for Perrier. We're in for a treat here for him at least because he's really going to add depth to his roster. Uh, but if he would have got some more pitching from any of these other guys, like Rasmussen, there was there was chat in the group meet today about Kevin Cash's decision to pull Drew Rasmussen with 87 pitches. And he not only could have won a complete game, but he almost had the 24th perfect game in Major League history on, on Sunday against the Orioles. He retired 24 consecutive batters before the uh, before Jorge Mateo doubled to left field with the first pitch in the ninth inning. So we thought at least we were going to get the complete game, but he was lifted and we get frustrated with pitchers not being able to go the distance. And you thought maybe Kevin Cash will let him do it, but no. So he was just three innings away. Well, a third of an inning away uh, for the notching the first perfect, uh, perfect game in the majors since Felix Hernandez accomplished the feat for the Mariners, which is ironically against the Rays. Uh, and it would have been exactly a decade ago on August 15th, 2012. So Rasmussen, what could have been, if he at least would have won a complete game for, for uh, Perrier, we would at least have, you know, a win. But nevertheless, here we are. Perrier is sitting in the losing column. And it's decisions like that that really has to leave you scratching your head about why do I even like this game? It's so frustrating. I've been there. I know how Perry is feeling because what could have been. And then also look at the other side of it. Someone who didn't have the best luck by having this happen to him. Devin had the other side of it with the good luck. Michael Waka having the balls to start Michael Waka on a whim here uh, by picking him up last night for a streamer. He picked up Waka and Waka went out there and was great. So seven strong against the Yanks. And it wasn't really done with smoke and mirrors either. He pretty much dominated the Yanks on Sunday night with a season high nine strikeouts over seven shutout innings. So only allowing two hits with both of them were singles. He only walked one person and 59 of his 89 pitches were strikes. So yeah, I mean, Waka went out there and actually looked legitimate and Kudos to Devin for taking a risk. And I know he had said in the chat, if this was the Yankees of a couple of weeks ago, even a couple, maybe a couple of months ago, you wouldn't even think about doing this, but Waka went out there and twirled the gem. And one of the reasons that he sits here uh, with the win over Perrier. So two ships in the night. Sometimes the luck breaks in your direction. And this matchup, I mean, also you look at other guys. Pitching was a huge, huge feat for Devin. Valdez, 8.1. Lance Lynn, 7.85. We also had Cueto did not pitch well with 3.75, but Logan Webb, I watched most of that game with Logan Webb uh, yesterday. And when he went eight strong, uh, you know, Webb is the guy that I feel strongly about. I do enjoy watching him pitch, uh, but man, he was so dominant. And I know people give him some shit for not being that true ace, but man, he was great. So he he was definitely on on fire, I would say. But you know, I, I would say that Logan Webb, if he can be that guy for Devin, and you know, he acquired him in a trade with me back on June eighteenth, and you know, that could be the difference maker if he can have another ace in his staff. And then you know, Urea seven point eight five points, Tyler May uh, Maley with seven one seven point one zero. So 
yeah, I mean, this matchup was tight and it really came down to Rasmussen and it came down to Michael Waka and both of them uh, went in two different directions. So this matchup, like I said, like I said, this is for the lead in the division, but it's also maybe a preview for the championship. Going to the next matchup here, I'm going to go with the other matchup that had a lot of meaning, and it was Greg and Travis. And this was kind of a trouncing in favor of Greg, who wanted to go out there and put on a good outing because of the fact that he lost last week and and a loss he probably wants back, uh, losing to me. Uh, You know, you don't want to lose to those bottom four teams. So he went out there and was trying to avoid a losing streak of an extended nature, and he was able to trounce Travis and Travis drops to 10 and seven and Greg moves to 11 and six. I know that Travis can't be panicking right now. Maybe as the division moves out of reach, he's going to just say to himself, I just got to get in the playoffs. And he knows he's going to be there, right? Cause we know the bottom four teams are not making it. I think at this point we can assume all those six teams will be in the playoffs as a matter of seeding. As we've been talking back from week to week, offensively for Travis, double digit points from Brendan Rogers, 10.35, Finished the week with five RBIs, a home run, five runs scored, eight singles. Julio Rodriguez is back in the lineup, which is a huge reason that Travis has to be excited. Came back on the 12th against Texas. So, you know, he was missed with Seattle and definitely Travis missed him in his lineup. Hopefully he can kind of shake shake loose about what was going on with him following the home run derby in the All-Star game. Uh, right now he's two home runs shy of his first career 20 home run, 20 stolen base campaign. And just as a reminder for everybody, he is a rookie. So I think Julio Rodriguez will probably add some hardware to his mantle uh, come the winter. But he's not worried about that right now. I think Seattle has bigger and better things to be playing for. And I know Travis is hoping that Julio Rodriguez can be more of the same player that he was for the first half of the season. Uh, and you know maybe that time off in between will keep him well-rested and get him back to that spot where he was, let's be honest, a dominant center fielder. Saya Suzuki, who's my pick to be the NL uh, NL uh, Rookie of the Year, he had a really good week here, and I think let's see what Saya did this week. Saya went with he had seven point seven five points, five runs scored, three singles, finished the week with three RBIs, and you know Saya has been one of those players that quietly, and I, I know Chicago has not been competitive at all, um, and that kind of makes him blend into the background. I know he had that, the finger injury that kept him out of action for an extended period of time, but you know, and, and you know, the rookies have been pretty strong as far as who's out there. You got Spencer Strider, obviously uh, I'm going to look at the odds where they are now as of the day. I know that we looked at it and Devin was convinced that Saya Suzuki didn't have a chance, but I'm going to put it on here and see what it is. But, you know, I would say ideally right now, you'd have to give the the nod to Spencer Strider. I think he's been the best NL rookie. Um, but who knows? I mean, right now, I mean, he's, yeah, so Michael Harris is there. O'Neal, O'Neal Cruz has upped it. But, I mean, right now it seems like the, the consummate favorites are Spencer Strider and Michael Harris from the Braves. O'Neal Cruz and Saya Suzuki, as of today, are plus 1,300 and plus 1,800 respectively. Uh, Nolan Gorman dropped down to plus 6,000. Uh, Christopher Morrell plus 1800. And right now, Spencer Strider is the outright favorite with negative one, 155. Michael Harris is plus 230. So, and I can't, I can't fight that, uh, that decision by the odds makers. I think it's, it's, 
pretty appropriate. Spencer Strider has been pitching in big moments for the Braves. And Michael Harris has been very, very good, both with the glove and at the plate. But, you know, holding out hope that Sai Suzuki walks away with the National League Rookie of the Year. But looks like his days are numbered here. Uh, but he was great this week, in my opinion. Looking at pitching for Travis, no one had double digits, which was a problem for him. His best outing came from uh, Carlos Rodon, who still pitching for San Francisco. San Francisco, there was a chance that he might be traded. He wasn't. Uh, so Rodon's been very, very good this year. One of the best draft draft picks all year for value. Where Travis got him. If you guys remember, Travis got him in the third round uh, with the tenth, the tenth pick, thirtieth overall. So for pitchers. His production, you can't, you would have to get the top of the draft, and Travis had the the insight to know that Rodon would be really good changing settings and going from Chicago to San Francisco was the, the thing he needed. He got the win this week, 6.95 points, seven strikeouts, uh, but you know, followed by Alcantara not having a great outing. That really hurt Travis this week. Um, ironically, he did go seven and two-thirds, um, gave up four runs in, in – in the outing only struck out four. He went deep, even though like in his weaker efforts, you know, it, it's not really that bad of an outing. It's just, he didn't strike out a lot of guys. Uh, he now sits at 10 and five with a 2.01 ERA. So you got to imagine if Sandy would have been able to do his thing and some of the other things would have broke right for Travis. Maybe he'd be sitting in a different spot. Garrett Cole, he needs more from, from this week. And I know all the Yankees are, are struggling and, he didn't get any run support, that's for sure, when they lost one nothing to Seattle. But, you know, you need more from Cole. Only struck out eight. Uh, one of these days, he's got to go complete game for Travis. But, you know, he's been going six and seven. And maybe as the you know push comes to shove down the stretch, you can have Cole uh, pulling off one of those complete games because I think he's going to he's gonna need a performance like that when he's playing one of these tough teams. Because you can't go into the week and not have a guy with double-digit pitching points. It's just not possible to win. So, you know, not the best week for Travis. Finished with 116.15. Greg finished with 147.50. Looking at the top point getters for Greg, Aaron Judge turned it on again this week, 10.35 points. Finished the week uh, with three home runs, so he's adding to his total. He's on pace right now. Or I know he had a tough night tonight against uh, the Red Sox, but he's on pace right now to at least get close to Barry Bonds, and I know that, you know, that seems like an absurd number. He'd really have to keep it, uh, keep himself uh, really, really hot. But there's a chance, which is insane. But I think we're at least going to see him top 60, which is the goal. I think everyone wants to see him past 61. But, I mean, for Yankee fans, we just want him to be healthy for the playoffs. That's that's my main concern. I want to make sure his best at-bats are in October. Because right now, everybody in the Yankees seem to be sliding a little bit. And I know they built themselves a cushion. And we know that that's what you build the cushion for. So Judge didn't have a bad week, but he, you know, it definitely can be uh, better as far as the Yankees go. You know, you don't want to be uh, losing two out of three to the Red Sox and losing two out of three to Seattle and then losing three straight to St. Louis, two out of three before that to say, to Seattle again. It's not what you want from the Yanks. They got to start winning games, but Judge is not the reason they're losing at all. Uh, let's see. Ahmed Rosario had 10 points for him. So a big week for Rosario with Cleveland, who has some nice eligibility shortstop left and center. Uh, five runs scored for Rosario, five singles, two doubles, 
one home run and five RBIs. Also, CJ Crone, who has, as we know, big weeks in him. He can definitely carry a team offensively throughout the throughout the year uh, in ebbs and flows. I mean, Crone has been very, very good, 17th overall in points. And I know it's similar to Saya Suzuki being hidden in Chicago. No one talks about Colorado because of just how bad they've been as a as a unit. But some of the there's some really, really bright spots in that lineup. And CJ Crone is definitely one of them. Uh, has been great. He's probably going to finish the year with 30 home runs. And man, so, and he has five extra base hits over his last four games. And, you know, it doesn't hurt, hurt that you're playing at Coors Field. Pitching-wise, Shane Bieber finished the week with 14.55 points. He had two starts this week, got two wins in both of them, struck out 14 in totality. Uh, also looking at Chris Bassett, 12.75, got two wins, 13 strikeouts over the course of two outings. Jameson Tyon, 8.8 with 10 Ks. So a great week for Greg here. And this was a great bounce back effort for him. I know he probably can't be happy losing to my team, my scrub ass team right now. Uh, so he walks away moving to 11 and six, which puts him right in the mix for this Otter Pops in the Ice Pox division. I know Jimmy got the win this week, but, you know, he's a game back and that's all you can ask for. And, Big matchup next week, and we'll preview them in a second. But this was a huge, huge reaction game for Greg and put himself right back in the mix to maybe win the division. All right, I'm not going to spend too much time on these other matchups. I'll just preview and talk about Jimmy's team. Uh, he beat me 123.30 to 112.20. Jimmy moved to 12 and 5. I dropped to 4 and 13. Uh, I won't go over my point totals because who really cares right now? We're going to talk about Jimmy's point totals. Max Muncy had a decent week for him, who, as I said, when he acquired him in the trade, Max Muncy's had a really, really bad year. He still has not broken the 200 mark as far as average goes, but I think there's some good at-bats left in Muncy's bat, and we know when he gets hot, he can carry an offense both fantasy-wise and for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, Yesterday, he went four for five with a home run, four RBIs, and that's more of the Muncy we can – we can definitely remember from years past, uh, you know, he returned to the, the lineup uh, after missing time with a right hand contusion. And, you know, this definitely looked like the the best we've seen of Muncie. And maybe he's just been, you know, I, I guess battling injury and not healthy completely. And, you know, the fact he's still hitting one one eighty nine is probably more of a reflection of the fact he's had a tough start, but a hot run to end 2022 can't be dismissed. I mean, I think he actually can help Jimmy down the stretch and why not? Third base has been pretty weak. Jimmy's relying on Muncie in a big, big way there, but there's other guys that can pick up the slack. And I think there is some, some good left in Muncie for the season. I think he's going to write the ship a little bit because I think he's going to get to that number. I mean, 14 home runs is not where he's going to end the season. He's at least going to get to 2021. 20, so, you know, Jimmy's in for at least seven more home runs and Numbers don't lie, you know, and I think that Muncy's always going to get to his career, and the average is kind of a lost cause right now, but I think he can really right the ship and help the Dodgers down the stretch. Uh, he also got 9.7 points from Lindor. Lindor's had a really good year for the Mets, seventh overall in points. Think about a couple years back where Lindor struggled. I think it was last year, and who knows at this point. But, yeah, Lindor really struggled in a Mets uniform. He put all of that behind him so far this year, and uh, he uh, – as of today, he set a Mets franchise record with his 82nd RBI of the season. Uh, you know, he's he's been great. And Lindor has handled the pressure masterfully. And 
it's just been a phenomenal second season with them so far. I mean, he's batting 269, has 20 home runs, 82 RBIs, as like I mentioned, 11 stolen bases. It was a disaster last year, and I know people were worried. I know Stevie Cohen gave him the money, and people were wondering, should we have not given him the money? Can he not handle New York? He just needed to get right, and he got right. He finally got his feet under him, and now the fans love him, and rightfully so. He is a top-flight talent in baseball. We all knew that. He didn't just forget how to hit all of a sudden. But, you know, I think people were worried there was going to be Jason Bay, that it was going to be one of those situations where a player just can't handle themselves uh, in that new market. And I, th- I think it gets overstated sometimes. But, you know, he wasn't going to be Roberto Alomar or Jeremy Burnett's like that that whole crop of players. Francisco Lindor is next level. And I think New York fans are definitely seeing it's a tough place to play. But you know, Lindor has definitely had an, an amazing season and everything they've done has kind of revolved around what he's been able to do in the lineup. And he's in the lineup almost every day, which is another huge thing for the Mets. You can rely on him. You can know he's not going to go in extended slumps. He's been great. I know I keep saying that, but that's really the adjective I want to use for him. He's phenomenal. He's great. Uh, but he's been a team leader as well. So I expect big things for, for Lindor down the stretch and even in the playoffs. Um, offensively, it's pretty much it. Otani finished the week with 7.8 points. Marte, who they took, I would say, uh, they would took Marte's sample as I made this joke. I think Marte in a ninja outfit switched Tatis's sample for the steroids and swapped him. And I know Marte's on the gas and this, my boy Tatis really isn't. I see you, Marte. I know what you're doing. We'll get to the bottom of it. Your day will come. Trey Turner finished with 9.85 points. Uh, Turner's been great, too. Jimmy's whole team is so well-rounded. Look at, I mean, he has Trey Turner, who's fifth overall in points. Lindor, who's seventh. Jordan Alvarez is ninth. He has, I mean, three of the top 10 offensive players on his roster is remarkable. Shohei's at 16. Uh, Jimmy really did a masterful job of putting his roster together, and offensively, you can't for ask for a better roster. And then pitching wise, I mean, you got Scherzer, Kluber, Robbie Ray. His team is the team to beat. Uh, and this was a huge week for him. Uh, went out there and he survived a little bit of a rush for myself. I gave him a little bit of a scare. But, you know, the better team won and he was able to put it behind him and climb up the division and make the push. And I think everyone's been talking about Jimmy's team. He's making a push at the right time, now sitting at 12 and 5. He's a game above Greg, two games above Travis. Uh, he's clinched a playoff spot. He's going to try to get that by. All right, real quick, we're going to talk about Bazada's team. Bazada got the win over Alicia, moved to 10-7. and seven. Alicia fell to 5-12. and 12. Highlighted Bazada's team, Manny Machado, 15.8 points, finished the week with 10 RBIs, two home runs, five doubles, five singles, seven runs scored. Machado was great this week. Matt Olson, 10.95 points, six runs scored, three home runs. I uh, also had, you know, the guy I mentioned before who's second in odds for National League Rookie of the Year. Michael Harris finished with 12.3 points, seven runs scored himself, two home runs, five RBIs. He's not just a defensive uh, gem. He's going out there and offensively killing the ball. Um, Mitch Hanniger, who's been back in the lineup, 6.15 points, three runs scored, seven singles. Uh, also had one home run, two RBIs. And this is all done without guys like Rafi Devers doing much this week. Jose Abreu not doing much. 
Christian Yelich had a down week as well. So Bazada's team has much more potential to break out pitching wise as well. Zach Wheeler was the highlight of the week with 7.35 points, got the win 13 Ks uh, over the course of two starts. So he had that good outing against Miami and got blown up by the Mets. Uh, that was today. So 7.4 points, six, six innings pitched, got the win, eight Ks, and then the Mets went out there and, and hung six on them. So I uh, finished the week with 7.35 points. So not a terrible week, but I'm, I'm sure that it, it could have been much better. And again, got the win, so it doesn't really much matter. Christian Javier, 6.8 points. Nesta Cortez, 6.05. Justin Verlander, not the best week either. I uh, got the outing against Texas, gave up three earned runs. Uh, got the quality start and seven Ks, but the Astros were unable to hold on to the win for him. And he left the game. Texas scored and rallied for a bit. They lost eight, four. So Verlander, you know, Verlander didn't get the help from the offense and two points goes a long way by making his line look a lot better. You know, so Vizada's team is on the up and up. I know that he probably wasn't happy with his record after all the trades he made, but I think the cream rises to the top. I think he had enough talent to be very much in the picture for a championship this year. Uh, he's going to have to, I don't think he has a chance at the buy right now. Right now he's 10 and seven. Uh, I mean, he does. Yeah, he's, he does have a chance. I guess he's a game, a game back. So there's a chance for the buy an outside chance. And we'll talk about the matchups and look at the schedule for the remaining weeks and potentially not sure if he's playing Devin and, and Perry or so that plays a huge part, but I think he's just happy to get into the playoffs and his guys just have to get hot. He has the talent to, to win a championship. It's just a matter if they perform. All right. Not going to spend too much time in this matchup because it has really no consequences for the playoffs, but just want to shout out Nick who moved to seven and 10. He has the, uh, you know, he's been surging and been managing his team pretty successfully finished the week. With 108.55 points, Karen had a terrible week, but, you know, her talent has been really stripped down. So Nick got the win here, headlined by Bergman, Bregman with 15.95 points, J.P. Crawford with 5.6, Andrew McCutcheon 6.05. Pitching-wise, Blake Snell 12.55, 9.25 from Jacob deGrom, Kyle Wright, who's now day-to-day, 6.5. Uh, but, yeah, good outing for, for Nick. And let's look at his record from last year. I think that's going to be a, a big tell. He he was really down on his team for his performance last year. And as Perrier can tell you, it does get better. And I know Perrier won his championship in the third year, I believe it was. So he went from worst to first and it was a really awesome story. So looking at Nick, he did not get his seventh win until uh, closer to the end of the year, finished the year seven and 14. Uh, and I'm going to look at if he lost on a losing streak. Yeah, he finished the year on a three-game losing streak, so he's going to try to top his most win, most wins in a season total this year, and I think he will, unless something goes terribly wrong and he goes on a, a bad losing streak. But this is a huge win for Nick, and happy to see what he was able to do. Uh, he has his keeper set in place, so he has to be happy with the way his team sh- shook out, and I think he has his eyes towards the consolation bracket to try to get that first overall pick. All right, so looking at the remaining schedule. So week 18, the schedule as is as followed. We have myself playing Devin. So I'm going to do my best to beat Devin, guys. Everyone in the Grand Balfour division, I'm coming after Devin. Don't worry, I'm going to put my best lineup out there. We have Perrier taking on Karen. Travis taking on Bazada, Jimmy taking on Nick. 
and Greg taking on Alicia. So if we're, if we're looking at this right now, Perry pretty much has a guaranteed win. Devin has a guaranteed win. If all goes right, tough match between Travis and Bazada. Jimmy should beat Nick and then Greg should beat Alicia. So it's still going to be very tight going into the remaining of the season. Looking at week 19 to look further ahead. We have myself playing Travis, Perrier playing Greg, Jimmy playing Karen, Nick playing Devin, and, and Bazada playing Alicia. And for the season finale, we have myself and Nick, Perrier and Alicia, Travis and Karen, Jimmy and Greg, and Bazada and Devin. So some tough, tough matchups in there for some of these teams, and I think Teams at the top of the division just need to keep continue to win. I think Jimmy, obviously, if he wins out, he'll win in the Otter Pops division. Uh, right now, Grant Balfour is tossed in the air. As I mentioned, the tiebreaker should have Devin ahead of Perrier. I'm not exactly sure at this point. Uh, and I, as you're listening to this, you know exactly who's ahead in the division. But there's still a lot to be determined here. And I know that we mentioned the, the bottom four teams, myself, Karen, Nick, and Alicia, are going to be battling it out in the consolation bracket. So we are guaranteed. It's weird because the top six teams have not clinched a playoff spot yet, but I think the bottom six, the bottom four are mathematically eliminated. So I'm not sure how that works, but we know 11 wins has been the spot where you clinch, which means as of Monday morning, Devin clinched, uh, Greg clinched. So that means Travis just didn't clinch despite losing. Um, he definitely should clinch because of the losses from myself and Karen. And then same thing with the losses. Of, like, yeah, I think everyone should be clinched by now. And I know you've like, no, Steve, we saw the stars. We know exactly who's clinched, but I'm sitting here on Sunday night trying to figure it out. But that's the upcoming schedule. In just a second, we're going to go over the news and talk everything that's going on in the world of baseball. All right, let's get into the news and talk everything that's going on at MLB. And of course, let's lead the way with the Jeff Passan bombshell that was dropped two days ago friday evening ruining my weekend if i'm being honest padre star fernando tatis jr violated major league baseball's performance enhancing drug policy and is facing a suspension sources familiar with the situation told espn so as time went on we figured out that tatis owned up to the popped positive test and what can i say he made an excuse with the ringworm situation and said that he was taking some sort of steroid to clear up a ringworm infection. But we all know when they're not appealing, we know that there's some truth to the accusation because what's really on the line here for Fernando Tatis Jr. is his reputation. And if you serve that suspension, it's an admission of guilt. And I think at this point, you know, the fact that he tested positive for Clostaball, which is a banned performance enhancing substance, you can assume it wasn't for any other reason, because if he had any good reason for doing this and could prove it with a doctor's note, he would, but he can't. So now we're sitting here as a fans of baseball and also 23 years old. He's one of the faces of baseball and we're sitting here to unpack what happened. And there's been some disappointment with what has happened in the last few years. He got paid and instantly said, hey, motorcycles and drugs are fun. I'll see you in 2025. And all joking aside, it's, it's really it's it's one of those more one of the more disappointing stories I've 
come across because of not just because I have in fantasy, I put this all, all aside for this for baseball, just in that market, San Diego's put together and they're going all in. So I know people want to talk about San Diego being doing the wrong thing and trading for Soto and Clevenger and uh, signing Machado and everything they're doing, but they're trying to win. And I know we give a lot of grief to Baltimore and to Miami and to all these other teams when they're not trying to field a winning team and San Diego so far the other way. And what was a given was Fernando Tatis Jr. on a team friendly contract for an extended period of time. You know, I say team friendly, they paid him for pretty much 30 games, right? And they put their faith in him and he's done nothing but slap them in the face. You know, if the motorcycle thing wasn't bad enough by risking his season, by breaking his wrist and needing to see all sorts of doctors to, you know, work on what's going on with the nerve damage potentially. Um, it's just a disaster. Uh, and to me, like, I know people were talking about how crazy the Soto signing was. This is crazier. And at least we knew that the Padres were in the running for Soto. This came straight out of left field when he was about to come back and there was excitement building up. We saw the highlight of him hitting the triple and double a, uh, it just, man, the Padres got Juan Soto and lost Fernando Tatis. It's a soul for a soul. And I know that Nick, you'll appreciate that with Thanos, but you know, you can also make the argument that they knew about the Soto situation. I mean, about the Tatis situation. So they went all in to get Soto and have another young player to build around because we know what they can be. And Tatis, they've without Tatis, they've accomplished what they've accomplished on the field. He has not been a part of the team at all. So it just the long-term effects of this go much longer than just the season for Tatis. And now it's always going to follow him around like a dark cloud. And it sucks because he was one, he was, he had Ken Griffey vibes. He was bringing young fans into baseball. He was electrifying. And even if this didn't help him throughout, you know, build up the bigger numbers and, and to help him, get an edge on the field. This will follow him around forever. And we know what it does to your reputation. It's bad for baseball. And it was a very selfish move on his part. And I'm just very, very disappointed. So, you know, that's what I have to say about it. And as far as fantasy goes for me, I put a lot of stock into getting him back and I traded Corbin Burns for him. And I've had, had all weekend to really think about this and it hasn't really gotten any easier. And I know some people have asked me, am I going to be keeping Fernando Tatis Jr.? And I think the right answer to that right now is yes, but that could change over time. I know that I have other young players. I gave myself options of who else to keep. But in the spot where he'll be, he still is a value. And I know he's going to miss another 30 games next year. But here's hoping he comes comes out and, and is electrifying as, as every bit the player he was to prove something. But... I have my doubts. I mean, we know what happens when they stop using and now we're supposed to assume maybe he was using the whole time. And that's, that's when you start to cast out on the player and it's bad. It's bad for baseball. All right. So more news here. Chris sale broke his wrist riding his bike and had surgery. He will miss the rest of the season. Uh, what else can you say about Chris sale aside from it's bad karma? You know, you act like a fool and I don't know. Uh, 
yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this, but it's, uh, you know, when I saw the notification that he was to have surgery after the season, I thought to myself, it makes sense. No reason to rush him back this year. The Red Sox season is a dumpster fire anyway. And then when you look at the news article, he fell off a bike. So it feels like it has to be a joke. Um, you know, all joking aside, he is a great player that's being taken down by injuries constantly. At this point, you should probably just wrap him in bubble wrap and don't let him leave the house because, I mean, what else can you do to get him on the field? The Red Sox gave him the utmost time to do it. And when he was ready to do it, he had the, the rib injury. Then he's ready to return again. He falls off a bike and breaks his wrist. Uh, I just wonder if he's just gotten to the point where he just feels embarrassed <laughs> to call up the, the team and say, uh, yeah, I just got to inform you of my injuries. It just, you know, if I were him, I would definitely text because uh, he's just, it's just, sorry, I can't come in this year. Uh, you know, I'm hurt again, but man, Chris Sale, what a joke. All right. Another news. Uh, I know that you guys probably posted this in the group, but just to put it out here on the podcast, Keith Hernandez said on the Mets broadcast five days ago that he has asked S and Y not to make him call games against the Phillies because he doesn't like watching them play. And, and he quotes as far as fundamentally and defensively, the Phillies have always been just not up to it. So Keith Hernandez has not been one to mince words. Uh, the Mets have been one of those lightning rod teams uh, for all NL teams and NL East teams. Uh, but we saw the Phillies responded to this. They put this on the Phillies broadcast and Crux said, if Keith don't want to do it, we'll talk to Ronnie, I guess, and just made a joke of it. But I know Keith Hernandez gets frustrated with baseball. That's not fundamentally sound. And the Phillies have been leaving a lot to be desired defensively, <laughs> but it just seems like a low blow. Uh, you know, I, I think it'd be cool to this made me think, and this is like a completely separate subject, but it would be cool for the playoffs. And I know everyone gets mad about the national broadcast, but to take one, one guy from the broadcast of their, their hometown team. And then the other one, and put them together for the playoffs. So you get an even call. I'm just picturing Kruk and Ronnie together in like a, a series against the Mets and the Phillies. I know the Phillies aren't going to make the playoffs, but go down the line. It'd be cool to have someone from the Astros broadcast with the Yankees in the booth with Michael K or, or, or David Cohn, it would be really awesome to hear that. But uh, yeah, you know, I think a big, a big thing with the, with Keith Hernandez is what I do like about him is he, he speaks his mind and he doesn't mince words. And he says, whatever it is right on air, he's not, he's not going to pretend he's someone he's not. And that's something you at least have to appreciate from Keith Hernandez. And to be fair, uh, to Keith later on in the broadcast, he did say that he made the decision months ago and that the Phillies are playing much better now, but he stands by his word. Uh, and, you know, we know he was joking and everyone was talking about the reaction, but there's definitely some truth to it from Keith Hernandez. All right. So in other news, we continue to watch the Baltimore Orioles overcome all the odds. Uh, big series this weekend where they did lose two out of three to the Rays, and right now they sit one and a half games back from the wild card spot. So who would have thought that the Orioles would be here in the spot? So that's the biggest news, uh, and I think Brandon Hyde deserves to be manager of the century if he's able to pull this off and get them into the playoffs because the fact that they're four games above 500 or they're three right now based on the loss today uh, is just amazing. 
And if you watch them play, they do the fundamental things right. And they're getting the most out of every single player. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is there seems to be a lot of heat between these two teams. And uh, we saw on Saturday that the emotions did boil over uh, against the Rays and the O's when they were at, at Tropicana Field as both benches did clear uh, in the eighth inning where, you know, you had emotions definitely running high because of the fact that there's major implications in the playoff race, but also because of the history uh, we saw. And the reason for the benches clearing are because of the fact that Pete Fairbanks wasn't pleased with a late timeout call that Robertson, Robinson Chirinos got mid pitch. He appeared that home plate umpire, Andy Fletcher was the one to call the time, but Fairbanks was yelling at Chirinos after striking him out. Chirinos obviously didn't take kindly to it. And suddenly the bench is clear to engage some shoving and jawing. Uh, Fairbanks didn't back down for it in the post game. He said there was a late time call. He took offense. Uh, apparently I misunderstood our cold time where it was, but apparently it was the umpire, not Chirinos. As you guys know, it could be a little fiery. So I think that may have caused some things on Saturday. Uh, we do know that, you know, the fact that they are even this close is something that is insane. And the Orioles are playing with house money. Uh, they played the rubber game in the three game series this afternoon where the Rays got the win and Rasmussen almost had that perfect game. Uh, but the Rays are heading to the Bronx to take on the Yankees in a three game set, which is huge. Uh, it's crazy that the AL, AL wildcard race is coming down to the wire. Not even to mention the twins entered Sunday, a game back behind the Rays and the White Sox are two games behind back and the Red Sox, despite having a really tough go for it behind they're under 500, they're only four and a half games back. Uh, right now the Blue Jays and the Mariners are currently holding the top two wildcard spots, but we do not know who's going to be that at the end. And I think that's the most exciting part about it. And it's reinforcing this idea that the playoff race needed that extra playoff spot. Uh, but you know what? The Orioles have been very, very impressive and I, I commend them for going all out to try to contend and you know, they're well-managed and they're getting the most out of their players. So uh, they're fun to watch and I love to see what's going on with them and Camden Yards rocking a little bit. It's nice to see that stadium. One of the best stadiums in baseball having some juice in it. So I was here for that. All right, continuing the news, Bob Nightingale dropped a tweet yesterday and he wrote the curse of Dairy Queen. So Dairy Queen selected four players this season to market their ice cream and sandwiches. Can you guess the four players? Bryce Harper, broken thumb, out since June 26th. Tim Anderson, broken finger, out six weeks. Cody Bellinger, he's hitting 210 with a 668 OPS. And now the last one, Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended for PD use. So... The new Madden curse is the Dairy Queen curse. Stay away from their ice cream. Uh, man, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. But the Tatis stuff is so, it, it's still surreal to me when I see all the, all the, and his statement, it all just seems surreal. And I know we haven't seen him on the field. It just, man, it, the ramifications of the, of the Tatis stuff, are it's just going to be huge. Also, according to Jeff Passan, the Washington Nationals are calling up top prospect C.J. Abrams, one of the main returns in the Juan Soto trade. Abrams is a 21-year-old shortstop debut with the Padres earlier this year, and Luis Garcia is headed to the IL to make room on the roster. It's weird to see C.J. Abrams' name pop up on the Nationals feed, but here they are. I mean, C.J. Abrams, for me, I will always see next with the Padres next to him. Uh, the one thing I thought was, as soon as I saw this, I can't believe he's going to be up before Cade Cavalli. Um, yeah, cause Kay Cavalli has been ready to go, I think in the minors and he's just not, 
they haven't called him up for some reason. I think they wanted to save him with the service time and all that, all that stuff because the Nats are competitive, but I guess is because CJ Abrams has already been up here. I guess they're going to just let him ride the wave and get him back up. Uh, but man, what a weird game that we're going to be able to see with CJ Abrams and Luke Voigt that are going to be both playing for the Padres against the nationals coming up on Thursday. Um, I hope that he's able to come through and be that future star for them. I think CJ Abrams has the potential to, uh, I think all Padre fans are even rooting for him as well. He definitely was hundred percent rushed for the Padres to be calling him up because the Padres have been mishandling their prospects for whoever, for how long. I mean, we all know that they've been pushing guys up and when they're not ready, they definitely call players early rather than late and it can end up ruining the development. And hopefully CJ Abrams is able to find himself in the Nationals lineup with no pressure, you know? Uh, I think CJ Abrams has the ability. He's shown in spurts for the for the Padres this year. And then obviously at AAA, he's been explosive. I think he's going to be awesome. And I think a big piece of, of what's going to be happening in D.C. is he's going to get consistent at bats. And I think it's going to give him a lot of time to feel it out and go through the motions. If he would have been called up in the middle of a playoff race, uh, could be really detrimental to your development if you're not playing well, because they're going to sit you if you're not playing well, because they, these games mean a lot. With the Nationals, they don't mean as much. So C.J. Abrams will get every bit of the opportunity to succeed. Also in a, yeah, I guess a, a stat category that no, no one's keeping track of today, Joey Votto set a new record for games played by a Canadian-born player breaking a tie with the Hall of Famer Larry Walker. So today, Joey Votto's 1,989th career game is played, breaking a tie he set with Larry Walker in last night's game. So a little Canadian heritage update for you, Joey Votto. Um, you know, Joey Votto's been on fire I mean, with the TikTok stuff and resurging his career. He's going to be, he might be the most popular Canadian player of all time. Next to Matt Stairs, of course. So I know Devin mentioned this in the chat, made a joke about the article I wrote about Brady Singer finding his third pitch on Pitcher List. You guys can go find that article I wrote back in April. But I was able to compile some of Brady Singer's numbers from his last seven starts. And they are great. So Brady Singer's last seven starts, he has a 1.99 ERA in 45.1 innings pitch. 34 hits allowed, 10 earned runs, 12 walks, and 49 Ks. So just put that in perspective. He faced the Yankees, the Dodgers, the White Sox twice, the Rays, the Tigers, and the Guardians. In my opinion, he seems to be reaching his potential after starting the season in the bullpen. He was demoted, if you guys remember, to AAA back in April. Got his ERA down to 3.29. You know, for the Royals, they have to be happy that they have a young cost control pitcher to be excited about. Uh, I, I think... You know, a big a big thing with with Singer is I mentioned that that out pitch. Uh, I think the fact that he was able to do that and have the control. I mean, we watched him today. He was really really good. He had the Dodgers off balance all day, and I think we see the ebbs and flows. I think so long we're so used to pitchers just being good for a consistent consistent amount of time that we're not used to the the growing pains that some of these young pitchers go through. Let's not forget that he is still very very young with limited experience. So you got to give them time to learn the craft and listen to people around them. You know, you can't dismiss the fact that Zach Granke was involved with the Royals all year. So he's definitely been listening and, and talking to him and him being there to just pick his brain has been awesome. Uh, maybe the Royals should make Granke the pitching coach, uh, but 
I don't know how his social skills are for that, but all joking aside, you, you, when you watch the Royals broadcast, you see Granke always talking to Brady Singer and that knowledge can't be dismissed. I think it's been huge for the, all the Royals pitching staff and the Royals have a lot of young talent, not just pitching wise, but offensively behind them. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely very, very high in Brady Singer. I, I took him pretty decently high in the draft. Uh, just watching how he dominated 2020 with Greg, he had Corbin Burns and Brady Singer and both of them dominated me late in the year. And when I watched Brady, I was like, damn, man, he has great stuff. And I, I think he lost sight of that by really changing his, his approach in the majors when he started to struggle. And I think he's really comfortable with who he is as a pitcher. So he's sticking with it right now. And like I said, keeping lineups unbalanced and having them have to predict and predict wrong for the most part for what's coming next. has been a huge piece of his success here. Uh, yeah, but big on Brady Singer. So let's give some love to Reed Detmers. I know Devin's been, I guess, flying that banner for the last few weeks, but I went and looked at his last five starts, 31 innings pitch, 19 hits, four runs scored, 38 strikeouts, 10 walks, and he's been great. A 1.2 war for the Angels. Uh, and just if you if you look at it, he went from throwing a no-hitter to threatening to be getting sent down to the minors, and now he's good again. As we know, pitching can be completely changed with one tweak and anyone telling you something different or you change the approach as we, we mentioned Brady Singer, uh, the small tweaker or tell can make or break your performance entirely. And their minor league pitching coach uh, for the for the Angels is minor miles better than Matt Wise, who's their coach right now. And that's been discussed all over social media. And people blame the Angels coaching staff after he was sent down. Detmers was saying that the minor league coaches found something off and corrected. And now he's been pretty good. Why the Angels coach didn't see that? Who knows? It's incompetence, I guess. And it's a reason why the, the Angels pitching always sucks. Something you said, I mean, they should get rid of the whole pitching staff. But, you know, Reed Detmers, I think we're seeing more of who he actually could be. And people forget how young he really is. So I'm starting to get on that Detmers train with my good friend, Handsome Devin. In more prospect news, the Phillies are promoting their two pro top prospects, Andrew Painter and Mick Abel to double A reading. Painter's 19 and Abel turns 21 this week. Everyone's been saying this is aggressive moves, but the Phillies see them as ready for the challenge. So there's some good young talent in the Philly system. And we talked about with the Padres rushing players through and calling them up too soon. And for the Phillies sake, hope they're not doing that. But if you look at Painter's numbers throughout single A, he's been absolutely dominating. So there's no shock that they're trying to move him up. Abel has been slightly worse because the Phillies developmental staff has had restrictions on how many each of the each of them can pitch. Um, so he's right now working on weaker pitches while he's out there, uh, but his development is apparently going really, really well. Uh, but Painter, go and look at his numbers. He's, like I said, 19 years old. So the future is really, really bright for him. And, you know, we may be able to see him next year at some point as a 20-year-old all the way up in because the Phillies need pitching as we know. Uh, but you know, what a great name for, for a pitcher as well. Painter. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a good shot that we may see painter probably sometime in 2023, maybe late 24. 
Um, and right now, if you look at his numbers, he has 16 Ks per nine uh, and 12, 12 Ks per nine at, at high A. Low A is 16 Ks per nine. And yeah, but I get that they're young and people want to talk about that. But when they're ready, they're ready. And, you know, Phillies fans have been saying that this is the first prospect that they've been excited for in so long. You know, they're hoping that developmental doesn't mess them up. But, you know, he he's been seen at high a right now and obviously you want to challenge him as time goes on, but he's been lights out at every, every spot he's been. So why not challenge him? Why not challenge him? All right. So I mentioned Kate Cavalli before, you know, with the Nats calling up CJ Abrams, but Kate Cavalli dominated triple a yesterday, striking out 11 and seven in strong three hits while the top prospect was making his 25th start at triple a and lowering his ERA to 1.42 over the last 31 innings. Animal Sanchez was shrinking his ERA to 7.20. So there's some unrest in D.C. for a lot of different reasons. But what I'm doing my research, I think the tweet is missing some context for Kay Gavali. Uh, obviously, he's in the middle of a 31-inning streak where he, he's just missed over two weeks due to injury. He had a really good start yesterday, but prior to that, since returning from injury, he had 14 innings pitch and three appearances. Uh, with 10 Ks, seven walks, and two hit by pitches. And obviously, he's the most promising pitching prospect in all of the Nationals' ranks. And if you look at the grand scheme of things, it doesn't make sense to rush him to the major leagues to play on a 100-plus lost team. So I think playing it smart is the right thing. As I mentioned, calling up C.J. Abrams, he's already had his clock started, so you might as well just put him up there. But I think exercising patience for Kate Cavalli, unless – for whatever reason, you need to bring him up. You leave him there until the start of 2023. So wouldn't I would be amiss if I did not mention Vaughn Grissom, my favorite player in baseball right now. Since 1901, Vaughn Grissom is the only Braves player to score a run in each of his first four major league games. So crazy stat. I thought I'd pass along to you. I thought it was interesting. Vaughn Grissom. Great baseball name, by the way. All right. So a little playoff update. For real Major League Baseball, I know we talked about our playoffs, and that's pretty much sewn up, but thought I'd discuss about the playoff teams that are sort of in contention here in Major League Baseball. And as you remember, the picture is a little bit bigger than ever before for MLB playoff teams. They'll, they're going to be using a new and larger playoff format this year in which two division winners with the best record will each receive a bye, leaving the other division winner to play one of the three wildcard teams in the best of three series to advance. So instead of the five qualifying teams in the playoffs for each league, this year will include six. Uh, so as we know, the Dodgers have become the best team in baseball, as I talked about before right now. They're pretty much a lock to win the NL West. Uh, the second biggest, biggest lead in baseball belongs to their rival at this point from two different leagues is the Astros, who they just got Lance McCullers back, so they're going to be trying to win the AL before that. The Yankees used to own the best record in the AL, but they're pretty much right there for the AL East. I think they're 10 games up on the Blue Jays. So, and we have the Rays that are just trailing behind them. We also have that, you know, the Rays right now are in the wild card lead, as I mentioned, but the Orioles are going to be playing the next month and a half with no pressure, having entered the season with no expectations. And now they're right in the mix for potentially getting to a, a playoff, an unprecedented playoff spot. So they're in the mix as well. In the NL East right now, we have, the battle-tested Atlanta Braves going in with the New York Mets, who now have been steady as ever. So 
We'll see who's able to walk out of the National League East with the victory. Uh, they're going to be really, really, really tight as time goes on. But right now, the Mets are five and a half games up. But we know that the Mets aren't out of reach yet. I don't want to say anything to existence, but we know that, you know, it's attainable. And the Braves have been a thorn in the Mets side uh, forever. But as we know, both leagues, the most chaos is definitely between the two central divisions, which is both the weakest divisions in all the sport right now. Looking at it, we have the Cardinals are a game and a half up of Milwaukee going into tomorrow, uh, 63 and 51. And then for the American League Central, Cleveland is two and a half up on Minnesota. And we know that the White Sox, they were going into this year thinking that they were going to be, I guess, the favorite in that division because it's pretty weak. They're two and a half games back of Cleveland. who Cleveland should not be there. Uh but we do know that that race is definitely unsettled. And so is the, the NL central. So I guess the only thing that's settled right now is, you know, the Yanks, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves are all going to be there, but who are the other teams that are going to be joining them? So that's just a little playoff update on our end. But just to remind you guys that the new format is going to take effect this year. All right. Last piece of news. And it has to do with Nelson Cruz. He is the first player in MLB history to reach 2000 hits as a Washington national. As we know, Nelson Cruz has been very successful throughout his career. Uh, also, I believe tested positive for steroids as well at some point. But he has uh, been very, very offensively fruitful uh, for every team he's been on, especially since being able to be a DH and not have to worry about playing the field. Uh, now he's been in the Nationals for a bit here. He got his 2,000 hit with the Nationals. Who knows if he'll be able to get to 3,000? I don't think so. I think sort of the, he will be unable to get 1,000 more hits. But a big moment for Nelson Cruz. With DC, so a highlight for the Nationals who have wanted highlights this year. They haven't had much to cheer for, so a uh, little bit of love there for DC. Right, that's going to do it for the Commission Rapper Show. I really appreciate you guys listening to this. I hope you're having a great Monday thus far. Please remember we're moving into week 18, so make sure to be setting your lineups because even if you're not in the playoff race, you setting your lineup has consequences, good and bad, towards the playoff race. So make sure if you are not in the playoff race, if you are myself, Karen, Alicia, Nick, set your lineup because we want to be able to put our best foot forward to make sure that the playoffs have the most legitimacy I do not want to see anyone not setting the lineup. If they are not setting the lineup, I will be going into your lineup and fixing it for you. So, or I'll be texting you or whatever. I do not want to have to do that. Please keep your eye on the prize here. There's only three more weeks left and let's have the best race final because we want these guys to play spoiler. Someone take out these playoff teams and play spoiler. You take some pride in that role and get ready for the consolation bracket because it does have a lot at stake. Getting the first overall pick has a lot at stake. So make sure you guys are well involved. I know I'm preaching to the choir for some of you, but some of you, it's not fantasy football season yet. Focus on the baseball. I've been the commish. I'll talk to you guys during the week. I'm out.